what's in your hand, part three. I'm really excited about this. We have talked for two weeks now about this, and I kind of titled in my own notes that first week we talked about the lie, the lie of the enemy that what you have isn't enough, that what God's given you isn't enough. And then last week we talked about how David uh, had five stones and in his hand or in his pocket, that's all they were. But God gave him that. God put those stones in his path and as he used them, man, they became really weapons of warfare. They took down a giant, but those stones that were only stones became uh, stepping stones into the things God has called him to do and God did call him to do. And God has given you something. He's given you more than one thing. He is giving you uh, ability and talent and, and physical uh, things like property, machinery. I don't know what it is, but God has put something in your hand and on the surface, it might seem like it's nothing more than a pile of rocks, but when you use what God has given you, he takes that. He takes your yes, he adds his increase to it, and that becomes exactly what you needed to get to the next place in life. So. That's kind of about the increase that God places on us as we use what he's given us. Today, I'm calling this one the adventure. This is about the adventure that you get, uh, that, that, that you step into as you begin to say yes to what God has placed in your hand and you begin to use it. Because let me tell you, nothing about serving the Lord is boring. Nothing. And I don't know all the details about what heaven's going to be like. I've read some books, people that have had visions of heaven, and some people that, that have, man, they say they're straight up, they were there in heaven. And you know what? I believe them. And I've read books about it, but I still can't tell you what heaven's going to be like. But I will tell you this, when I was a kid, I was worried it was going to be boring. When my idea of heaven was the Bugs Bunny cartoon, like when the times when Bugs Bunny, you know, falls off a cliff or something, you see his little ghost uh, float up to the cloud and he's just playing a harp on a cloud. I mean, as a kid, that really influenced me. And I remember thinking, man, if I love playing my guitar, but if heaven is just sitting on a cloud and playing guitar, I mean, I'm a worship leader. That means I know four chords. Those are gonna get old after like an hour. <laughs> Those four chords are gonna get old after an hour sitting on that cloud, but I guess I'll have eternity to master this instrument. I don't know. But I remember being scared that heaven will be boring. But let me tell you, we are servants of the living God, and it doesn't matter if we are here in this plane of existence or in heaven, there is nothing about serving God, there is nothing about worshiping ever that could be considered boring. Now you're called to do something here on this earth, and as you say yes to what God has called you to do, when you use what he's placed in your hand, whether you like it or not, you are embarking on the adventure of a lifetime. And it doesn't matter if you got a nine to five that you're at Monday through Friday, or if your job gives you freedom, or if you don't have a job, adventure looks different for everybody. But one of the things I can promise you is you're never gonna wake up and be bored. You're never gonna wake up and think another day like this. Because all the external stuff is external stuff. There's other things, there's a greater calling. You're almost like an undercover agent wherever you are saying yes to the Lord. He's called you to do great 
things. I mean, your calling is better than you could ever imagine. In fact, it says in Ephesians that the things God's going to do through you according to the amount of power working through you is going to be exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can imagine. That means that as you go further in your relationship with God and his promises are working within you and his word is working within you, you're going to keep getting blown away and blown away again and again by where God takes you and what he's doing through you. This is a verse I love. It's Proverbs 25, 2, and it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Man, I passed over that verse a whole lot of times in my younger years. I, I don't love mystery, right? I, I like movies and TV shows where there's some mystery, but in my own life, I don't love mystery, I'm being honest with you guys. I like to know what's behind the door before I open it. I like to know, uh, this drives Lisa crazy because she's the opposite, but if we're going on a trip, man, it gives me no greater joy than to have every hour mapped out. Oh man, there's no greater nightmare for my wife. I mean like Lisa, I mean, I want to pack a week before and, and Lisa packs sometimes, I mean, like, as we're leaving, she's grabbing stuff and throwing it in suitcases. And, and uh, her, her famous thing is, I said, what if you forgot something? She says, we're not going to the Amazon forest. We're going to somewhere in civilization. If I forgot something, we'll find a Walmart. <laughs> but you have it, and you can just pack it. And, and also, we, we, we'll, it'll take us three hours to get there. I mean, she doesn't even listen to me anymore. We just, and, and I really shouldn't do this because, I, I mean, we, we are very opposite. If, if you're married to somebody who's the opposite of you, just raise your hand so we, I know we're not alone here. Okay, yeah. You know, it's funny because sometimes you meet couples that aren't opposites and it works, and you meet couples that are opposites and it works. Isn't that, that's good news, right? So uh, you don't have to be looking for a certain thing. But I, I don't love mystery in my life because I like the known. I like, I like to know what's happening. Man, I, I, I kind of wish in my flesh that God would say, hey, I'm calling you to do this. We'll call it point B, right? You're at point A right now. And uh, I'm calling you to do this. And here's every step of the way you need to get from point A to point B. But you know, sometimes God says, this is point B. You're at point A. Go ahead and take a few steps. Go ahead and take, well, what, is the, what does the part in the middle look like? What does it look like between point A and point B? Just take some steps. Just start moving forward. Here's one thing we know about God. It's going to be good, right? It's going to be good because he has good plans for us, plans to give us a hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. And Revelation 1, 5 through 6 calls you the kings and priests. So here we are back in this verse in Proverbs. It is, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out a matter. You're the kings. You're the queens. You're the priests that get to search this stuff out. Well, yes, we have the mind of Christ. We can know the mind of God. We can know the will of God. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, who can know the mind of God? We can, because we have the mind of Christ. So here's what we know. His will is good. He's got good plans for us, a hope, a future. That's the will of God. What we may not know is what every moment of our journey will look like. I truly believe that if God mapped that out for us, we might turn around and run the other way. I'm telling you, 10 years ago, if God would have said, so you and Lisa will be pastor in the church in a few years, and blah, 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 I, we might have just ran the other way. You might have a different preacher standing up here talking to you. And you got things in your life you can think about. If God would have showed you 
10 years ago, what you're doing now, man, would you have turned around and ran? Would you have been overwhelmed by the things he's called you to do? Would you have been overwhelmed by what he's shown you? I see some of you shaking your heads. Man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So here's what we know we can trust. Here's what we know his will is good. Here's what we know the adventure is going to be great. Here's what we may not know. Every twist, every turn, what's behind every door, what's through every open window. But let's just say, I trust you and begin to move forward like never before. Man, one of my, my, it's got to be my favorite series of books. And, and I know I'm not alone in this, but the books about Narnia, C.S. Lewis, uh, the lion Aslan who represents Jesus. And my favorite line from these books ever since I was a kid. So in, in these books, there's these, these four kids end up in a whole different world. It's, it's obviously fantasy. It's a novel. Uh, but this world is, is called Narnia and the animals talk and, 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 and Jesus is represented by a lion named Aslan and all these people and, and, and animals are telling these kids, we got to go see Aslan because he's going to tell us what we need to do next. He's going to help us defeat this witch and blah, blah, blah. And about halfway through the book, they find out that Aslan is a lion and they get a little bit scared and they ask one of the characters, they say, wait a minute. We're going to see a lion? And they say, yes, Aslan's the great lion. And the character named Lucy says, is he safe? And they just laugh and say, oh, no, he's not safe at all. He's a lion, but he's good. Man, I love that, right? He's not safe, but he's good. What does that mean? It means it might not be that safe to open a door. You don't know what's on the other side and walk through it. But here's the thing. We know if God put that door there, it's going to be good. Our flesh might say, no, it's not safe. Don't jump over. Don't do this. Don't do that. But here's the thing. God is the one that laid this out. And I know it's going to be good. Man, I love that. And Lisa and I can attest to this. I mean, in the past 19 years married and 21 years together, we've said yes to a lot of things. And we've sought the Lord. And we've been in places we never thought we'd go. Nicaragua. I mean, as a kid, I never thought I'd be standing on top of an active volcano in Nicaragua serving kids rice and beans and playing uh, guitars and running around playing soccer and getting destroyed by four-year-olds because they're amazing soccer players and I'm horrible. I never thought that was going to happen when I was younger. But man, we've been in some amazing places that weren't safe, but they were good. They were good and they were exciting. And it's because we said yes and we're still living this. That's why I'm up here not preaching at you. I'm preaching, call it with you. Like, let's do this together. Let's decide to say yes. There are some unknowns coming down the, well, coming down the line. There's some unknowns for all of us. There's some unknowns for, for our city, for our country, for our city, for, for our state. But as the church, as we say yes to God, not only will we see needs being met like never before, We'll be on the adventure that God has set out for us. And I'm telling you, every day, you can wake up excited. So there's three ways I want to talk about today. I told you I love a list, and today I got one. Three ways, three things we can apply to our lives that will lead us into that yes. Three things that will lead us into the yes. And the first one is stop being satisfied with good. Man, my dad used to say this all the time. The number one enemy of great is good. God has great things in store for you. Listen, the promised land 
was great. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land where the spies went out and they saw giants carrying fruit. They said the grapes were as big as their heads. That's a big old grape. It's like a watermelon-sized grape. Well, in my case, I have a watermelon-shaped and sized head. So in my case, we're talking about grapes as big as watermelons. That's big grapes. This was a land that was prosperous. It was more land than they could ever use. Do you know what happened as they're in the desert, in the wilderness, leaving Egypt, where they were slaves? But what did they have in Egypt? Food. Maybe three meals a day. They had shelter. They had roofs over their head. And you know what? I guess for a lot of them, they were used to life, and it was at least good. Because they're on their way to this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, with more fruit, more everything than they've ever imagined. And they said, why did you lead us out here, Moses? We should have just stayed in Egypt. Things were better in Egypt. They were satisfied with good. Do you know what happened? That entire generation died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Only two people who left Egypt entered the promised land. Not even Moses entered the promised land. If you didn't know this history, go back and read it. It's in Exodus. Only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. They were the two spies, the only ones that said, no, forget Egypt. Forget the wilderness. Forget the giants. Let's go in and take the land. They were the only two who weren't satisfied with good, and they were the only two that entered the great promise that awaited them in the promised land. Man, I don't want to be satisfied with good. I don't want to just, man, things are good. I'm surviving. I got a roof over my head. I got a bed to sleep in. I'm grateful for those things, right? I'm grateful for the prosperity that we have in the U.S., right? I'm, I'm grateful that I think I saw this stat that even though, you know, economy stuff is weird right now and, and you got crisis everywhere, I think I read this thing, though, where if you have $20, you're still in the top 1% of the richest people in the world, that's crazy. $20, and there's 99% of the world's population is more poor than you. I am grateful for every one of these blessings. I don't take them lightly. However, I'm not just satisfied with good. It's good to have a church that's paid off, a building that's paid off. It's good to have property we can have picnics on. It's good to come worship together like this on Sunday morning. It's good to have small groups all these things are good. It's good to give away roses to the mothers on Mother's Day. Grab one if you didn't before you leave. It is good. But there is a city out here that needs Jesus. And you know what's great? All of this and also making an impact in this city. Also being a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless, clothing the poor, feeding the hungry, taking Jesus to every corner of this city, Amen. our state, our country. Let's not just be satisfied with good. Let's not just be satisfied with existing when you have been called to greatness. NBA playoffs right now, I'm enjoying them. You know, good teams might make the playoffs. Good teams don't win championships. Good teams usually lose in the first round of the playoffs. Great teams keep winning and eventually get that championship ring. There is a difference between good and great. It's good to have a paycheck. It's good to have a paycheck that pays your bills. But you know what's great? It is not living paycheck to paycheck. What's great is being able to, to abound to every good work is what the Bible says. 
We're called to abound. Man, it's good to have our finances in such order that when we see somebody in need, we don't have to just say, well, if I give this, my family then has a need. No, it's good to meet the needs of my family and it's good to meet the needs of my city and my neighbors and my friends. That's great. Psalms chapter one, verses two through three is my favorite passage. It says a righteous man, a righteous woman, his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law, he does meditate on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the water that brings forth fruit in every season. His leaves never wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Man, that's powerful. That is powerful. Man. We're called to prosper in everything we put our hand to. That's not just good, that's great. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God will generously provide all you need. You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is in the gospel, right? This isn't about having millions and millions of dollars and fancy cars and everything like that. This is about having needs met and being able to meet other people's needs. Here's a free something for somebody out there. God never one time says he'll give you money. Man, the prosperity gospel that some people preach gets all icky when they start talking about God sending uh, money and raining down money from whatever it is. That cart gets a little bit weird sometimes. But the truth it says in Deuteronomy is that you've been given the power to get wealth that you may establish his covenant upon the earth. A lot of people sit around and pray and wait for money. And God says, I've given you creative ideas. I've given you something to go put your hands to. I've given you creativity. Now go use it. I've given you the power to get this yourself it gets kind of gross when we sit around and just scream, Lord, give us the money, give us the money. <laughs> He's given you the ability to go do it, you know, get it. Not for anything more than spreading his kingdom throughout this world. So, do you want good or do you want great? Don't be satisfied with good. Good employees keep their jobs, but great ones move up, eventually hire other people. So that's number one. Don't be satisfied with good. Go after great. God has great plans for you. Number two, you got to imagine and see the things God has called you to do on the inside. You have to get a picture of it. You have to use your imagination. It's that thing that some people grow up and grow out of. We put away childish things, right, as we become an adult. But let me tell you, there's nothing childish about the imagination that God has given you. It's powerful. Your mind is powerful. I mean, your mind is very powerful. I saw a non-Christian neuroscientist on the news two weeks ago while I was running at the gym. They were interviewing this guy on CNN. They have all those TVs up there. And I was running in front of ESPN, CNN, and, and NBC, whatever it was. It's kind of fun because sometimes you get the same news story on two channels, but they got a completely different headline, right? Uh, it, it's, it's pretty funny. But the one guy was a neuroscientist, so I, I wanted to listen because he was talking about this girl on TikTok my kids showed me. She has, uh, she has a tick. She has a nervous tick. And while she's talking, she just says these, I mean, like, vulgar things. I mean, the way she explained it was, as a kid, she heard things that she knew she shouldn't hear in her mind. I don't know how this uh, disease works, but like uh, all the stuff behind it, but this is how they explained it, that her mind latched on to these vulgar phrases that she knew she shouldn't hear. 
And now as an adult her, or a teenager, she has this nervous tick where as she's talking, she'll say these things. And she's become very famous on TikTok in the last two years. She has millions of followers. And this neuroscientist said, ever since she went viral, there is a, something like a 6,000% increase in diagnosis of teenage girls with a nervous tick. 6,000% increase, and this neuroscientist is on CNN, and he said there are young ladies who are manifesting this disease within their own mind because they're seeing this girl on TikTok, and they're thinking, ooh, I want to go viral too. I want to be popular too, and all of a sudden, they are not just pretending or acting. They are being diagnosed with a real disease. That is how powerful our mind I read a story years ago about a man who froze to death in a freezer car of a train as he was loading it. He got locked in this freezer car of a train. He was the most neg negative man anybody ever had, had met. And he wrote a letter as he was freezing to death in this train car. He wrote, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make it to the next stop. My body will uh, shut down as I begin to freeze here over these next hours. And he wrote his last goodbye to all of his family. And when the train stopped at the next place, he had frozen to death, but the train car, the, it was never on. The freezer was broken, and it was like 100 degrees in there. But he literally died and had every symptom of freezing to death. And that's not some pastor telling that story. That's in another book I read about neuroscience. That's the power of our mind in the natural. Imagine what your mind can do filled with the thoughts of the Holy Spirit, filled with the thoughts that God thinks. Man, you can't afford to think the things he doesn't think because your mind is so powerful, it produces the things that you're thinking about. I believe it's Proverbs 2, 7. I think it says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we've been told this thousands of years before neuroscience existed. Maybe now we can just listen. Ephesians 1.18 also talks about the power of your imagination, your mind. It says, the eyes of your understanding, that is a fancy phrase that really a great translation of that phrase is your imagination. The eyes of your understanding, your imagination being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We should be filling our imagination up with the things God has called us to do. Sadly, what a lot of people are filling their imagination up with is the opposite of that. The negative version of this, it's called worry, right? Worry is this exact same concept but turned around the wrong way. Worry is you using your imagination to picture the most negative outcome. You worry about the things because you're picturing the wrong outcome in your mind. That's called worry. But then you turn it around and you say, well, here's what your imagination's really used for. See the things God has called you to use, it's called you to see. And for some reason, we think, well, that's weird. No, it's weird to worry. It's weird to worry when you're a Holy Spirit-filled believer, the Father of lights, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills is, is your Father. The Savior of the universe came and made a way for you to have communion and connection with God. It's weird for a person that has that relationship with the creator of the universe to worry. 
Let's turn this around. Let's let worry become the thing that we're not accustomed to. Let's let our hearts grow hard towards the worry because we're so busy picturing the things God has called us to picture. Do you think Jesus could have fed 5,000 people with a couple fish and a couple loaves if he was worried it wouldn't work? I don't think there's even, there's not one instance of Jesus saying, okay, guys, this might work. <laughs> Have you ever had that moment where like uh, the chip on your debit card stops working all the time and it looks like you're just getting declined and you have to use the debit card somewhere and you're like, now that chip hasn't been working lately. It might work, it might not. And you know, all the cashiers are like, yeah, right, buddy. You're just hoping you have $3 to pay for this loaf of bread. Jesus wasn't worried the chip wouldn't work. He wasn't concerned, okay, guys, just start passing it out and let's hope it lasts. No. You know what Jesus' imagination saw? I'm about to feed 5,000 people with whatever we have right here. Do you think Jesus thought maybe it won't work when he said, Peter, throw the nets into the water? And he pulled up the biggest catch he ever had. Then after he saw the biggest catch of his life, Jesus says, hey, let's go be fishers of men. Do you see, Jesus gave him a picture for him to see before he even called him to do it. He didn't just say, hey, come, let's go be fishers of men. Okay, what does that mean? No, here's the biggest catch of your life. Let's go do that with people. Yes. He didn't just tell Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. He said, look up. Look at all the stars. That's how many children will call you father. Look down. Do you see the dirt? That's how many children will call you father. God gave Abraham a picture, and it didn't matter if it was day or night, because during the night he walked outside and saw the stars and was reminded, that's how many children, I don't even have one child. That's how many kids I'll have? And then during the day when the stars are gone, he walks out and he says, wow, look at all that dirt. That's how many children I'm going to have? And God has been filling people's imaginations up with what he wants us to see since the very beginning. Don't put it away. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. See it all the time. Draw it if you, if, if you can draw it. If you can't draw, draw it. Make it look funny and laugh at it when you see it. Or, or print out something and, and look at it. But put it in front of you. It says in Habakkuk to write the vision down so that he who sees it may run with it. This isn't like a new age thing, like see it and manifest it. No, this is the word. Leave it in front of you. Get a picture of it because According to Ephesians 1.18, when our imagination is filled up with what he's called to, this thing sparks on the inside of us called hope. And hope is not just a nice word that we talk about and it's fun to be. No, hope is a spiritual principle. And the word actually says that hope directs our faith. That's how important it is. Our faith in action is chasing after the hope that is rising up within us. And if you have no hope, your faith is like, where am I going? What are we doing? That's from Hebrews chapter 12. When hope rises within us, the faith of Jesus that is resident on the inside of you says, well, there's the light at the end of the tunnel. Let's move towards it. If you want to know why you don't see your faith working or in action, it's not because you don't got faith. You have the same faith that was in Jesus. It's a spiritual gift. That's what faith is. It's listed as a spiritual gift. You have the faith. If you haven't seen it in action, your issue might be you haven't had hope in a while. Your issue is you might have let what you see in the world affect you so greatly, you've just given up on hope. I saw something yesterday that kind of broke my heart. It was somebody I've known for a long time talking on uh, an Instagram Live or something like that. 
And this is a believer, and he just kept saying, I just look around this world, and I don't see any hope right now. I got no hope for the things I'm seeing. And there should not be one believer out there that looks at the darkest situation and says, I don't see any hope. If you're alive, there's hope. If you're breathing, there's hope. If you are in that situation, there's hope. And, and if you're seeing something that breaks your heart, instead of just saying, I don't have any hope, maybe ask the Lord, are you calling me to go be the hope in this situation? Are you calling me to get involved? Are you calling me to actually uh, produce some, some, some action to go along with all these things I say and believe? If you don't see any hope, maybe it's because you're not there in that moment. You've got hope and you've got to use it. Let your imagination get filled up with what God has called you to do. He gave Joseph dreams for a reason so he could keep going back and picturing those dreams. When he was in the bottom of a prison for years, he could remember what he saw in his dreams and a little spark of hope could rise. And his faith would say, hey, we're getting out of here. We're getting out of this situation. It might take us a day. It might take us a few years, whatever it is, but we are moving up. We are moving forward and moving up because when you let your imagination become filled with the hope of what he's called you to do, you're going to be saying yes to using everything he's put in your hand. Yes, this doesn't look like much. It's just a net, but I'm going to throw it in the water. Biggest catch of my life. Yes, I just have a stick in my hand. I'm going to throw it down, though, in the presence of Pharaoh. It's going to become a snake, and it's going to start us on this journey. Yes, I just got five rocks. I'm going to use them, though, and it's going to take this giant down. And what do you have? What do you have? Use it. See it in your imagination and watch, watch something awesome happen. Amen. You know, if you're from North Carolina, you've probably heard about Reed's gold mine. It's, it's like an hour and a half from here. But this guy, this Mr. Reed, found a chunk of gold on his property. I see, I wrote this down in my notes. It was like in, uh, well, I didn't write the year down, but it was, I think it was uh, something, I think it helped start the gold rush. What would that have been, like 1849 or something? Or was that? Well, 1700s. Whatever. We're only 100 years <laughs> off. It was at some point and at some time, Mr. Reed found a giant chunk of gold. He thought it was a rock, and he used it as a doorstop for four years. A doorstop. All of a sudden, a friend that knew a little bit about precious metal walked into his house and saw it and said, can I go do some tests on that? And he actually sold it to the guy for like, I think, $16 or something. And uh, in the end, though, in today's economy, that chunk of gold would have been worth like almost $500,000. And he used it as a doorstop for four years. I know we can laugh at that, but I'm telling you, you got something so valuable that God has put in your hand. You have something so valuable, and some of you have seen it as nothing more than a doorstop. Well, all this is is a little talent. There's 300 people that are better at this than me. Yeah. You know, I'll use it for myself. I, I, have a, I love to sing, right? But I'll just sing to myself and the Lord because there's a million better singers than me. Or I have an idea for a business, but you know what? I'll just grow my own vegetables. I don't need to go. There's, there's 100 people at the farmer's market who can grow better vegetables than me. But let me tell you, you're sitting on a chunk of gold worth more than you could ever imagine because God has given you something unique to your calling. Say yes, use it, and see the value. God sees so much more value in what he's given you than we see in the natural. Proverbs 18, 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. 
A man's gift. What's the gift that God's put in your hand? Because it's going to put you before kings. It's going to put you before great men. You've got to use it, though. You've got to hold it up and say, this is what I got. I'm using it. Don't be satisfied with good. Go after great and see it in your imagination. Let your imagination get filled with the hope of the things he's called you to do. And the last thing, number three, third way you can begin to make uh, room for yourself to say yes to the Lord is get your house in order. Yes. Get your house in order. Get your house in order. What does that mean? Well, it might mean something different to every one of us. Get your house in order. That might mean finances. It's important to have your finances in order. It is important to have your finances in order. Get, maybe it's your health. Get your health in order. There's so much information out there now about how to get healthy and be healthy and eat healthy. And I'm not saying we got to live by every tiny little thing we see because there are promises in the word that nothing deadly will harm us, that we can put things in our body that, 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 that may be poison that won't harm us. I'll declare those promises. But if I'm not healthy, then I might need to make a few decisions and get healthy. This is a very practical thing that is actually very spiritual. Get your house in order because you know what? When God tells me it's time to go, I want to be healthy enough to jump up off my couch and go. And when God says there's a hungry family over here and you need to feed them, I want to have my finances in order enough where I can jump up and say, let's go get some food. It's a very practical thing that is actually realistically very spiritual. In the Old Testament, there is a seemingly endless amount of instruction about how uh, the construction of the temple I mean, like, it, it's, it's even, it, and they didn't hold back. It's all in here in the Bible. You can read, I mean, every color of, of paint that they were supposed to use or whatever kind of paint they had back then, whatever they used to make colors, dye. Every color something should be dyed. How thick every curtain should be. What kind of wood to use. I mean, to the detail. And when you read this story, as soon as they finished the last detail of the temple, it says the glory of God fell as a tangible something they could see and hovered over the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. There was a physical, tangible presence of God that dwelt in the temple and arrived the second the last detail was in order. What does that mean for you and I as New Testament believers? Man, if you want to see yourself, your family, walking out the things God has called you to walk out to its fullest, get your house in order. Don't think, well, tomorrow I'll start. This is the last thing I'm going to waste my money on. This is the last thing. Uh, this, is the, this is the last cheeseburger. Well, I've said that a few times. <laughs> this is the last cheeseburger. And then you can make it like, you know, you can psych yourself out. You can be like, okay, I've, I run three and a half miles every day. If I just stopped eating these cheeseburgers, man, my pants would fit better. I'd be going down sizes instead of up sizes. And then the next time, hey, one more cheeseburger. How can one more cheeseburger hurt? <laughs> Don't start tomorrow. Start today. I really did feel a reason today to focus specifically on physical health and finances, but this can be applied to anything. Uh, get, your, get your mind in order. Get your thoughts in order. And work through some of these thoughts that are, that are plaguing you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with finding a godly therapist that can lead you through thoughts and emotions and traumatic experiences you've had. There's nothing wrong with that. And if any pastor has ever told you you don't need that stuff, I'm sorry they said that. Throw it out. 
man, there are godly people out there that we can connect you with that can lead you through processing emotions that sometimes we put on the back burner and stop us from moving forward in our life. There's also pastoral counsel. Lisa and I are open to speaking and spending time with anybody and everybody that walks through these doors in a pastoral counseling setting. Man, we can do that, family counseling. We can do that, we offer that here. Let's get our mind in order so that when the Lord says, go minister to this person, we have clear thoughts and we can focus on the mind of Christ and go speak that word to that person. Get your house in order. Lisa's parents, I I can attribute my finance knowledge, our finance knowledge to them. They sat us down when we wanted to get married pretty young. Lisa's dad didn't say like, you know, I said I wanted to marry Lisa, I was 18, and he didn't say, you're not even a man yet, you can't even grow a beard. He just said, okay, what's your money like? That's what he said. He goes, how much do you have in your savings account? I said, what do you mean, my my bank account? He goes, no, your savings account. What do you have in your savings account? And I was like, not applicable. And he said, okay, let's go down to First Citizens Bank and open you up a savings account. And he taught me about finances. He taught me how to save money. He taught me how to give. He taught us how to spend less than we make. He taught us about finances. And then even though we've never made giant salaries, we're on ministry salaries. Uh, We've been married for seven or eight years. And this guy said, hey, I I got some people in England that you have to meet. They need to meet you. The kingdom of God is built on connections. Uh, and you need to go make some connections with these people in England. Uh, can you guys be there on Friday? This is on Sunday. And you know what? I said, yes, we can be there on Friday. And that week, we made arrangements. We bought some plane tickets. We flew over the Atlantic Ocean. And we were able to do that because when we were 18 and pretty dumb, we at least listened to Lisa's parents because we wanted to get married about money. Right? There are plenty of times, and maybe even your own life, when we've had to say no because there's been a lack, but we are not called to live in lack. And if we get things in order from our finances to our health, when God says go, we just say yes, and we go. Now, I mean, God is a God of miracles, and He can do a miracle, and sometimes we can go even if we're not feeling good, and sometimes He makes a way financially where there's no way. But remember, those are good things, but let me tell you about great Great is the supplies already there. Great is living an abundant life above having to wait for the miracle. Do you know that? I think that's what great is. That's what we're called to do as believers. Again, I love miracles. I'll celebrate miracles in my own life. I'll celebrate them in your life. But man, we're on a journey to where we're not even going to have to wait for the miracle. On earth as it is in heaven. No one's waiting for a miracle in heaven. It's already a done deal up there. Listen, it's a done deal down here. You just got to see it. You just got to believe it. You just got to say yes to it and partner with that done deal. And one of those done deals is you got everything you need right now to do what God's called you to do. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Why? I don't know. It's His glory, though, to conceal it. There's going to be things you don't know. There's going to be things I don't know. But it is the honor of kings, the honor of queens, the honor of priests to seek it out. Go after it. Go after it. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close on Mother's Day. But you're called to do great things and you got what you need to get there.
Don't be satisfied with good, step one. Number two, see the things that you're called to do in your imagination. Throw out the worry. That's the negative version. And let your mind, Ephesians 1.18, become enlightened and filled with the hope of what he's called you to do. Number three, get your house in order. Get your house in order. And expect victory. Expect good things. Expect those stones that you have in your hand to become the exact tool you need in the moment. Expect, once those stones have been used, the sword to just be waiting there on you, just like it was with David. He used the stone, and then he went and grabbed the sword that was right there and used it to finish the job. When you use what you have and you've used it all up, there's grace in that moment, grace in the time of need, and you will have the next supply immediately. You might not know what is behind the door, you might not know where the next step on your journey is going to take you, but you can know we have a good father with good plans for you. He's given you a hope and a future, and you may not have the answer, but it's going to be good. Move forward. Take that step. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, you've given us everything we need to get where you've called us to go. Thank you that what is in our hand is exactly what we are supposed to have in our hand, that you've given it to us. It's unique to our calling. It's unique to what you've called us to do. Thank you for every gift, every talent. Thank you that your word says that a man's gift puts him before kings. And I thank you for the moments that we are going to have in here as individuals and as families where we're going to say, wow, how did I get here? Thank you that these gifts, talents, are going to put us before kings. We expect it. We expect it. Man, there's some of you right now, you've already got a picture in your mind, and it might be something from years ago that you laid down and you said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to get my hopes up towards that anymore. I'm going to lay it down. You might have even taken a picture off your refrigerator and thrown it away and said, I'm not going to think about that building anymore. I'm not going to think about this thing anymore, this company. I'm not going to think about it anymore. And God is saying, resurrect that dream. Resurrect that picture. Resurrect it and watch what I'm going to do. Resurrect it. Pull it out of the trash can and watch the life that's going to be on that moment. Think about it again. Talk about it. Dream about it with your kids. Dream about it with your spouse. Man, some of you married couples need to talk about the things you're dreaming about. You need to take some time this week. You need to take some time today. And instead of fighting about stuff and arguing, you need to look at each other and say, what are we dreaming about? What are we going towards right now? And I feel that very strongly. You've got to dream with your spouse this week, today. Resurrect the things you dreamed about when you were younger. Resurrect the things you dreamed about before uh, you saw some bad stuff happen. Resurrect the things you dreamed about before you saw what you thought was a failure, but it wasn't a failure. In fact, it's going to make the calling stronger. It's going to make the things that you're doing even stronger. And dreams are even stronger once they've already died and become resurrected. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You know, Jesus physically died and was in the ground for three days. And when he resurrected, there's a whole lot more to this. We could probably do a whole series about it. But everybody that saw Jesus after he resurrected didn't realize it was him. I don't know how different he looked. I mean, we don't have videos and pictures, but there was something different about him. They didn't recognize him physically. I guess it was something that had us seen spiritually, but let me tell you, you've had dreams 
visions that have died and as they resurrect, they might not look the exact same, but let me tell you, they're gonna be better. Jesus resurrected in a glorified body. You got things the Lord's put in your heart and it might not look the exact same when you pull that out of the grave and you start dreaming about it again. Maybe things have changed. Maybe things have changed around you. I don't know. Maybe you've lost someone or, 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 or things are different. You're in a different city or a different state. And you think, well, how can this even work anymore? And God is saying, resurrect that dream. It might not look the exact same that you thought it would, but it's going to be good. You can trust that it's going to be great. It's going to be grand. We're going to go on an adventure like you've never imagined, like you've never even dared to dream about. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I mean, let's just respond to him and what he's saying with a few minutes of worship. Let's all stand. Let's worship for a few moments. And then if you need some prayer, if you need some agreement, we're going to do that too. But man, what a good word. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship.